Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast, celebrating pro and college football history. Hi everyone, Jackson Michael of the Game Before the Money here. You likely know the show, The Game Before the Money, airs on the SportsMap Radio Network Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central. That will run through Super Bowl weekend. I had Upton Bell on the January 7th show in the wake of the DeMar Hamlin injury. You regular listeners likely know that Upton worked for the Colts as director of player personnel in the 1960s, and that he was also general manager of the New England Patriots and owned the World Football League's Charlotte Hornets. And in addition to that, his father, Burt Bell, founded the Philadelphia Eagles and was NFL commissioner in the 1940s and 1950s. So Upton's been around pro football his entire life and brings a unique perspective and commentary that he shared on the January 7th show. The following is our interview together, which aired on the SportsMap Radio Network. Don't forget to visit thegamebeforethemoney.com. And remember that The Game Before the Money is a nonprofit organization. Please consider donating on the website. Thanks so much for listening. Obviously, DeMar Hamlin's injury has dominated the news Upton's here to give you some real insight and perspective based on what he's seen through his lifetime of experience. Here's Upton Bell. Upton, you were in attendance when Daryl Stingley was paralyzed with a hit from Jack Tatum. I believe that was a preseason game even. No, it was, and and I, I was not in attendance. We did the game on WBC on television, and I had just finished with Bob Lobel, my talk show, leading into the game. Now, a little background. I knew John Madden for years. Uh, first met him when he was up, when I was scouting, and he was the assistant coach at San Diego State under Don Coriel. And so uh, he and I kind of, we were both really young together, and he was starting out with Al Davis. You know, it, it go, went from there to San Diego and, the, and then to the Raiders. And so I always thought to myself, and even afterwards, I liked Madden a lot. But that, back to that game, I remember, and not only the replays, the hit. And I said, oh, my God. The minute I saw the hit, I said, he'll never get up. Never get up. And, and Jack Tatum, who I had scouted in college, I always knew was a cheap shot artist. And, and the irony to me, not only that night, but the rest of the time, is that you, you would really like John Madden, of course, the whole country loved him, uh, when, when he particularly went to television. But the, what part of him, because there was always a warning when you played the Raiders, watch yourself, catch the ball, watch out, watch out for cheap shot. And, and I always thought to myself, Madden on one hand is kind of a clean guy, Pretty good guy, big jolly guy, very, very smart. And yet his teams were really dangerous to play against them. If you remember, too, 
and maybe your audience doesn't, the very famous quote by Chuck Nolan, who I worked with, with the Steelers, when he said, talking about the Raiders, there's a criminal element in football and accused the Raiders that it ended up being a court case, a very famous one at the time. So at that time, looking at that shot on, on Daryl Stigling, of course, he never walked again, had a very tragic life. I got a hold of Madden two days later, came on, was wonderful. He actually went to the hospital, which is kind of unusual. And maybe he went to the hospital, too, feeling very guilty because he knew what Tatum was and Atkinson and, and all of that, Phil Volipiano. But that was football then. People could get away with certain things. Those Raider teams would never get away today with what they got away with then. But it was horrible. The sight was horrible. And I look at that uh, where you could clearly see what happened. And I look at this, even though they, they have now covered over it, and saw him get up and then saw him fall down. I said, well, I first saw it, I said, he's dead. And, you know, somebody walks that way, gets up, and then just goes down. I said, I think he's dead. That was my reaction. So each time along the way, the NFL, for all of its glory, for, for all of its successes, and I'm happy for them, basically... It's a very violent game, maybe the most violent of them all. And I keep saying to people, it's not hitting. It is a collision sport. It is a car accident every time the ball is snapped. And every time that happens, the chances of injury are great. In the early years that I was with the Colts, I was the same age as many of the players. So I used to go out and have drinks with them. And we would discuss you know, the game itself. But all of them said the same thing, that their greatest worry is that they were, and remember in those days, they didn't make a lot of money, Michael. Their great worry was, and most of them were married, was they were one blow away from their career ending. They didn't talk about their life ending, but to them, they had that great fear always in the back of their mind. If you're going to play football on any level, but particularly on the pro level, you must deal with the idea that when you go out on that field that day, you might not end up the same way in the end. Think about how to be able to put your mind at rest, knowing that you're going out to break your leg, you could have a concussion. I've never known a player that wasn't injured. Never. And to some degree. So... It's a great American sport, but on the other hand, for the people who play it, it ain't so great. I think you brought up something that's really important to talk about, because when we're watching this stuff and we're sitting on our couch and everything, there comes to, I, I think, in our, in our minds that these guys are bigger, tougher, stronger. There's something about them that makes them almost immune to the injuries that, that we would suffer if we went out onto the field. You know, I wouldn't fare as well on the field. I'd be knocked out on the first play. But they're at the same risk factor. They are at the same risk factor. And again, it's it's a collision. It's a car crash on every play. I... I would tell people 
because in the early years I used to work on the field during the game. If you heard, I mean, with all of the advances in television, and you can occasionally hear a curse word or or hear the actual banging of players against each other. If you were on the field during a game and heard the sound of it, the grunts, the groans, the you know, the the basically when when two guys hit each other, it's deafening. You know, it you you would say to yourself, except for the cannons, let's say in in the old wars fought, you would say that this is really is this any different than war? You know, people don't die, but it's like two lines clashing. The noise of it is really amazing. Uh, and I don't say that because it's something great. I'm just saying I, I finally got used to the sound of it and the conversations of it and what people say to each other. Let me give you an example, let's say, in training camp. 1966 training camp, second year, Mike Curtis. I drafted him in the first round in 1965. I, I convinced you, I said, you really have to make him a linebacker. I said, he's not a running back in this league. So anyway, uh, the opening training camp, they have a thing that's now either outlawed now or they just don't do it. It's called the Oklahoma drill. And, and uh, some people called it the nutcracker drill. And basically what you would do is you would have two tackling dummies uh, um, separated by maybe two or three yards. And you'd have the quarterback, a running back, an offensive lineman or a tight end on one side. On the other side, you have one defender, whether it's defensive lineman or a linebacker. And you have to run straight ahead. The object was the offensive lineman would be trying to, you know, bury or defeat the defensive lineman or linebacker. And they, on the other hand, on the other side, would try to stand the person up and make the tackle. I mean, it was truly hand-to-hand combat. So that first day, John Mackey was lined up as a tight end. And on the other side was Mike Curtis. And I remember saying to Shula, I said, you know, Mackey to me still to this day is was one of the most devastating blockers of tight end. Forget it's even a receiver. And, of course, now he's in the Hall of Fame. I said, I think Mike Curtis, even though he weighs less than Mackey, will have a good chance of standing him up. If you could stand the person up, get underneath him, and and make the play, then you were considered, you know, it was break even. Snap the ball. Mackey comes off. And it ends up that Curtis was able to tie him up. And I said to myself from that day on, I said, Curtis is going to be a great linebacker. And here's the rest of the story. Both those guys died from CTE. That's the story. And John Mackey, who was as handsome, I said, John, you're you're going to Hollywood. I mean, he was... Of the Players Association, he was handsome, articulate, everything. I mean, within years after he retired, he didn't know who the hell he was. And and in the case of Mike Curtis, of course, I talked to him just you know a month or so before he died. There's a guy that made a lot of money in real estate, had a wonderful life, 
And then all of a sudden it was gone. He didn't know who the hell he was. He ended up in the home. And I said, two memories that day of those two great players in the Oklahoma drill and then years later, not knowing who they are and having a terrible, terrible life and dying. Horrible. This is the Game Before the Money. Visit thegamebeforethemoney.com. Coming up, more with Upton Bell. Back with former Colts and Patriots executive Upton Bell, sharing his thoughts and insight and a perspective that only he can provide. Upton, your dad canceled a game in the 1930s, correct? 1935, yes. And what was the reasoning behind that? Huh. They would never go for it today. It was snowing and raining. The game was in Philadelphia. I think, Michael, it was the Brooklyn Dodgers uh, then that had a football team that the, that the reason they canceled. I have to remember one other thing in those days that you could never get away with again today. If you had no tickets sold, there were owners that tried to find a way out because you had no TV money. You had, you had nothing to support you. And therefore, to open up the gates and play the game, you would lose a small fortune. Yeah, and, and that wasn't too uncommon in the earliest days of the NFL in the 1920s, I think, to, uh, to cancel games. It wasn't, but but they kept repeating it last night on television all the time. And I kept saying, I know the game. I know it was my father. And, uh, you know, a completely different time. But think about it. To go all that time till the other night. And by the way, the minute I saw, the minute I saw the player go down and saw what, what briefly was happening... My first tweet out was, call the game, Roger Goodell. Burt Bell would call the game. And the reason he would, and here's the big difference. Burt Bell was the only commissioner in NFL history who actually played the game on a high college level. He was a player first, a coach second, an owner third, and commissioner fourth. But he knew when things had to be called off. Now, you and I have done before uh, the famous 1948 game when the Cardinals the day before had taken a vote not to play, and my father called them and told them, you're going to play the game because I've sold it for national television. But that's the only other time. And people, you know, all, all around yesterday were trying to figure out, well, what was the last time they called the game? That was it, 1935. Yeah, and, and under very different circumstances than the game with uh, the Bills and Bengals and, of course, the very serious injury that DeMar Hamlin suffered. Was there, is there other points in time that you can remember such a serious injury happening? No, in fact, I was saying for 73 years I've seen everything in the NFL mostly firsthand. 
but never anything like that. And let me tell you for the first time today why I immediately infected everybody who watched it. I mean, it's still today on CNN and national TV. That's all they're talking about. But in this case, when we find out that he really was, he basically was dead on the field, was dying. And it took me back to something. And, and this is why, Michael, I say this to you today. That I would not be surprised. I don't think it's happened. But I wouldn't be surprised that the Buffalo Bill players voted not to play this Sunday. I'm not talking about the game. Replaying the Cincinnati Buffalo game. I'm saying you never know. I've been in locker rooms my whole life. You never know what players are really thinking. You might think that they're up to play a game and they go out and lay an egg. And then there are other times, I remember being in the Colt locker room or in the team that I own, the Charlotte Hornets, and saying, they're going to go out and kick some, and they do. So there's no way to tell with something like this. And let me put it on a personal level. In 1959, October the 11th, a day I'll never forget, my father basically dropped dead in front of me. From that day to the day I'm talking to you today, I think of it every day. I've never forgotten it. I would have to say I've never gotten over it. Uh, I've gone on with my life. But that was such a shock. And when something like that happens, if it's expected, if somebody's going to die like Pele, you know, they've been watching for weeks and there's a great outpouring and warning of this great soccer player. But when you see something, bang, bang, and we know what football is, bang, bang, the guy's down. But when you see a person lying on the ground getting CPR, you'll never forget that. I just, and, and I would say, uh, my part, my father died. He is still alive, and hopefully, God, he will make it. But those players saw that. And when you see something like that, you never forget it. I'm just saying, beware of how players think when they see something like that, because it reminded them, and it always does me, of our mortality. And when it happened suddenly like that, I just wonder. I knew right away that those players and coaches were not going to play that game. I think the NFL, no matter what way they want to slice it, when they said you got five minutes, that's the NFL. And later on, they denied it. But I can tell you this, the NFL's mentality is, and I understand, I don't agree with it, the game must go on. I mean, the game went on back when Chuck Hughes dropped dead, but that was a different situation. Uh, and I'm not making any excuses about it, but I'm just saying that there's no question in my mind, and I won't belabor it, that the NFL, if the players were okay, would have gone on with that game. Right, and you, and you brought up Chuck Hughes, and that was in the early 1970s, I think 1971, and he suffered uh, heart failure on the field after running a, a post pattern. 
somewhat right. similar, although it was at the end of the game. So that was a different circumstance. But what do you remember about that? You, I guess you were general manager of the Patriots at that time. What, what do you remember? I, 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 I do remember because I, I, ironically, you know, there had been other people going back to 1947. I had just come from the Cardinals camp. And uh, I got to know Sam Walden. I got to know him, really liked him. Liked him a lot, like Charlie Trippy. And I remember being home and my father telling me that he had dropped dead. He had a heart attack. And, and how terrible I felt. Because as a young boy, you really attach yourself. I've been around players my whole life. Again, I, it's repetitive, but I had been. And how, how terrible I felt about that. But in Hugh's case, and you're right, it was near the end of the game. And, and remember something. Uh, that day, it was Detroit and the audience around Detroit on television. Everybody saw this on national TV. Even people, I was talking to a doctor yesterday, who I know doesn't watch football, can't stand it. And yet he spent about 20 minutes talking to me about what happened to his heart and how terrible it was and how terrible football was and this and that. I mean, this was the biggest audience you'll ever watch to a degree, maybe other than the Super Bowl, because the two teams playing were two of the best teams, maybe the two best teams in pro football. So the used thing was, compared to today, still terrible because he died is is kind of a blip on the screen to people who around the country saw this and people that just tuned in as a curiosity factor, not particularly pro football fans. A lot of people I talked to around Cambridge who are not football fans said, oh yeah, I saw that. Oh my God, how horrible that is. So circumstances different, used died, so far, this poor player has not died, and hopefully he, he won't. They'll make it through. But I guarantee you, Monday night will be remembered forever in the NFL and to fans. Yeah, and, and like you said, it was on a much bigger stage uh, than Chuck Hughes' death. The media now covers everything so much more. In the early 70s, so the coverage of it and the knowledge of it, of Chuck Hughes' death, was nowhere compared to the injury DeMar Hamlin suffered in, in today's media environment. Correct. And, and again, uh, I, I remember seeing shots of it later on, but it was kind of almost like newsreel when, when you see it and, and the way it was reported. Now, everything that you do in the NFL or any sport, you cover them all, is out there all the time. And, and the other thing that is both good but bad, too, this is being repeated like on, on a reel, repeated hour after hour after hour. And again, now people are speculating. And, and that's the other thing that happened that was really interesting. And you got a, a different look at football players. Tell me the last time, and I call it now every Sunday the card-off section. Guys being card-off for 
many different things. People staggering around, uh, you know, people with concussions. My worry is that people are getting used to this. You know, see, not this particular situation, but getting used to seeing people stagger around, can't get up, uh, head injuries, leg injuries, you name it. I mean, they were two this year, you know, they had an ambulance come right after one of the kickoffs, I believe, an ambulance in the, the stadium here in Foxborough was silent for like 20, 30 minutes. And again, the scene, uh, one of the parents, I think it was a father in this case, came running down to the stands and they put him in the ambulance and he went away with his son. This is becoming too regular. And I'm, I'm not here again to say, oh my God, football's so bad, maybe we should ban it, which will never happen to me. Maybe it should be touch football or, or this or that. I'm not saying any of that, but what I'm saying is when, when the general public sees something like Monday night and now the, the drama that's playing out uh, with the Bills, with the Bengals, will they play, won't they play? But more importantly, the reports from the hospital. People are still in those locker rooms particularly in the Bills locker rooms, I guarantee you they're replaying that scene until they know that he is out of real danger. And that can go right through and talking to some of the doctors, they say it could be days, you know, that, that while he is sedated and, you know, essentially put to sleep, you might not know for a while. So think about this. Let's say... In the worst scenario, he doesn't make it. And now it's the day before the game. And that's why I say to people say, well, okay, the Patriots are going to be playing there Sunday. I said, don't count on anything right now. Nothing. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. Future podcast episodes include interviews with Jerry Kramer, Dermonte Dawson, Joe DeLamalier and Chuck Foreman. Be sure to subscribe to The Game Before the Money on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of these great episodes. Subscriptions are free. Transcriptions of some episodes are available at thegamebeforethemoney.com. Transcriptions are powered by by our transcription partner, Sonics, spelled S-O-N-I-X. Visit sonics.ai to learn more about their automated transcription services.